0: Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, the guys are in Los Angeles together again for the very first time in a long time. We're going to be talking about No Sudden Move, and the Tomorrow War director, Chris McKay, is our guest.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership,
3: Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 171 of the Real Blend podcast, a podcast that is truly living a a once-upon-a-time-in-Hollywood moment of their own. I'm Kevin McCarthy, here with my amazing two co-hosts in person. I'm going to introduce Mr. Sean O'Connell first, who's having a great day with his ear. Good morning to you, sir.
0: Oh, good to see you, Kevin. We are all together in Hollywood, in the shadow of the Hollywood sign. We're feeling very fancy. By we, I mean Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. All
4: right, I'd like to say something. Yeah. I did that yeah. a couple of months ago. Yeah. And people lost their shit. Yeah. I can't people wait went to hear. Nuts. I want to hear that. I reactions. cannot wait <laughs> for the love letters to start pouring in to Kevin McCarthy about how much they loved his incredible intro and how
3: amazing it was that they shook things up. I can't, I can't wait for that to but happen. But it was an amazing intro and. I rightfully so deserve those accolades. Yeah. And, and you did on the first stage. No take. one asked you, Gabe. And yeah. you did it on the first stage. I, I could you imagine if it taken me three times? <laughs> no, it only took me once. <laughs> I mean, you are a
0: live television person. Too, <laughs> I mean, so. can you
3: imagine if I messed up a couple times? All right, times? this week's show, as you
0: can tell, we're all together, live in Los Angeles. We are going to be recording a very special interview with friend of the show, Quentin Tarantino, later tonight. Um, this is going to be a weird show today that we're recording because we're all a little bit... Um, Jazzed. Uh, We're we're a mix of nervous and anxious and. Yeah, so we're going to do our best to put together a regular show. We're
4: going to try to be coherent, but also keep in mind we're recording a show with something in the back of our minds that that is very much distracting all four of us right now. But that
0: doesn't mean we don't have a great show planned. Um, We're going to be reviewing a ton of movies that are opening in theaters uh, and some that are coming to streaming, including No Sudden Move by our friend Steven Soderbergh, who was on last week's show, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that. And this week we have Chris McKay, who directed the Lego Batman movie and has a new film called The Tomorrow War. Uh, that is opening on Amazon Prime with Chris Pratt. So we're going to give you that review, too. Uh, if you guys are watching us on YouTube, what are they getting on YouTube this week?
5: Uh, YouTube, you will get this episode. You can come watch us at YouTube.com slash RealBlendPodcast. Um, and on Friday, we're having another bonus episode with Josh Lucas, which we can talk more about later, but is become one of my favorite interviews we've ever done.
0: It, yeah, Josh he was, Lucas, he was uh, he's in The Purge. He's and in The Purge. He was um, Forever purge. not doing The Forever Purge, right? He was not doing traditional junket. He wanted to do longer form interviews. Uh, we did 45 minutes with him, yeah, and it was fantastic. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to this. So um, And then, of course, the premium. Premium episodes, which you guys can get on Monday. You can head over to cinemablend.com. Backslash real blend premium to figure out how to sign up for that. You get a newsletter from me every other week and you get uh, an ad free listening experience. So let's dive right into this week's episode. Uh, weekly poll. W- okay, so again, we're back to Tarantino. The reason why Quentin is having us here in Los Angeles is that he is launching his first ever book, uh, a novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And the idea of these novelizations is uh, we read a lot of these growing up. People would write a book about a movie that was coming to theaters, and this was a chance to sort of read the story of it, go into deeper detail about it. Um, But
4: not just that. A lot of times these books, these novelizations, uh, to make sure that they were written and published in time to coincide with the release of the film, they were oftentimes written based on the first draft of the screenplay. So a lot of times it was fun for movie fans to read the books and kind of pick apart the differences. Because a lot of times there would be major differences. Characters would behave differently. Uh, there would be plot points that maybe were, were added or left out or whatever the case may be. Right. And uh, just because, as you know, scripts change as, as the movie continues and plows on through production.
0: Or when you would be in your tiny Texas town yeah. where whatever movie might not be coming, like yeah. maybe you had to read the novelization of Jurassic Park before you even got a chance to see it on the big screen. You are-
3: I have a question about that. Yeah. In terms of novelization, so if Michael Crichton writes the original Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. correct, then the movie comes out, and then the book version of the film comes out. It's still the same book Crichton wrote it's not with, a novelization. with a different cover, right? So that's not a novelization. Correct. All right, I just wanted to clarify that, because I, I think there's a lot of... there's. It's interesting. We we, we, we think that by seeing a cover of a, of the poster on the book that it's a novelization. So in this case, it's a genuine it's basically it's the, it's yeah. the,
4: the whole chicken or the, about Basically, what comes first? You know, is, is the movie based on a novel, or was does the book exist? Because uh, it's a novel based is on being, a movie, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: So theoretically, could they not? Could they do a novelization of Jurassic Park? No, but that wouldn't be Crichton's. That would be based on the movie. I haven't
5: read the book. It would. I guess if it's so different from the
4: book,
3: it's pretty different. Um, you could, you could I, come up with I, like a totally different. If you if you get the chance,
4: because I know you're a reader. Uh, read the original Jurassic Park. One, if they were to adapt it like page for page, true for true, yeah. it would be a fairly hard R-rated film. That's kind um, of cool. there are a lot of scenes. In fact, the opening scene of the film, The Lost World, yeah, uh, with the with the young girl on the beach, is from Jurassic Park. Um, and there's also there's a scene that, that always haunts me because I, I read it once uh, when I was in school, and then and then once when Jurassic World was coming out. There's literally a scene where a dinosaur eats a baby's face. Oh! Yeah, it's brutal, dude. It's a brutal book. So
3: the book is R-rated. Yo, super R-rated. Dude, what's interesting about huh. the PG-13 version of Jurassic Park, though, that we've seen, I, I always felt that film just felt natural and didn't feel restricted. Oh, sure. And I think that there's a way to do it, but I, want, I would love to have seen, like, the R-rated <laughs> version of that movie.
0: Well, speaking of loving to see versions, the weekly poll, and Kev, I'm going to put it to you. Uh, we asked the listeners, after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, what other Tarantino film would you like to read the novelization of? That's a good question. Uh, I gave options. Kev, I want you first to tell me what you think the audience picked. And then secondly, I want to hear what your pick would be. The options we gave them would be a novelization of Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, *Inglorious Bastards, or Other.
3: Okay, I'm gonna guess our audience went. It's so funny because I feel like they're gonna, they're they're automatically gonna default to Kill Bill because of our because of the mm-hmm. joke we have on the show. And if you're not if you haven't listened to our previous episodes, uh, the argument being that Sean thinks it's two movies and Jake and I think it's one movie. I'm gonna go Pulp Fiction uh, for my choice personally and the choice the audience chose.
0: You're correct. Forty two percent of people went with Pulp Fiction. Um, the reason why I would have said Kill Bill, believe it or not, is because I think that there's a lot more mythology to mm-hmm. that story and you know places where you can sort of go off the path yeah of the of the tale also and be a explore. significantly
4: longer book yeah for be, sure that's a behemoth of a book so
0: uh did you look at other at the others comments games like what people it was, was pretty much uh a lot of django i all saw all of
5: his yeah it was all of his, his movies except for jackie brown which is based on a book
4: right? i would say yeah that's elmore elmore yeah. leonard
0: yeah all right, so most people pick Pulp Fiction, and uh, you can now, as of today, today's the day that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the novelization hits stores. So I absolutely would recommend picking. And also, also
4: Sean's right. not joking. We're literally looking at the Hollywood sign yeah, right are. now as we record. There's a, there's a sweet irony to this this moment that we're
0: having right this now. This is very cool, this and is-
5: it's safe to say we won't get into it because we're we're moving along. We all very much, if you liked the movie, you will love the book. Yeah, there's so much more to it than that you didn't get. It's a different experience. It's yeah,
4: so yeah. Don't don't think they like. Well, there's no point in reading it because I've seen the movie. And oh no, oh, there's it's, so it's much more. A- it's like really, by
5: by chapter one, you're yeah, in new. You can territory.
4: tell just by it's a it's a scene you know, but characters are in different places than they yeah. were in that scene. It's you can, yeah, you can tell from page one this is different. It's Absolutely.
0: Very different. All right, um, it's not going to be all Quentin this episode, I promise, because oh, so next week, next week we're not going to have a, a traditional show. It's It'll, going to be the two hour uh, interview with uh, ourselves It'll and be Quentin. the live show.
5: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be. be next week. Um,
0: and then, But then what are the bonus ones we have coming up?
5: Uh, we have Josh Lucas this week, and then I don't think we have a bonus next week. I could okay. be wrong.
0: But. Okay, gotcha. Um, and in the meantime, we have Chris McKay. Chris McKay, again, directed The Tomorrow War uh, with Chris Pratt, and he was nice enough to come join the Real Blend pl- Podcast for a deep dive into this film uh, and a couple of other teaser spoilers for things he might be doing with DC. So without further ado, Chris McKay for the Real Blend Podcast. Chris, how are you, sir?
6: Good, how are you? How you doing? I- I'm
0: doing wonderful. Thanks for taking the time. Um, so Chris Pratt carries these franchises, Guardians and Jurassic World. And so what does he bring to you as a collaborator on a on a big set piece movie like this?
6: Yeah, I mean, well, for, I mean, he's a huge movie star. So movie star charisma and uh, and people want to work with him. So that's really nice. Like everyone wants to work with Chris Pratt and. Um, He's a generous guy, really like he's he's what what you see is what you get with Chris. Like that's that's he's the real like he's there's no there's no artifice. Like that's who Chris is. He's really um you know, he's it's just a really good guy, a really solid guy. Works really hard. Uh he's got a great work ethic. And so Um, So for me, uh, I like that because I, you know, I like to think that I work hard and and bust my ass on the set. So so I want somebody there who's in the trenches with me, too. So Chris is that guy. Um, As an actor, uh, you know, he's a guy who can go from uh, any, you know, any, uh, uh, you know, he can do Star Lord. He can, you know, Jurassic World type stuff. He can do Zero Dark Thirty. um, And he brings a tremendous amount of vulnerability. And uh, he's unafraid to be emotional. Uh, he's unafraid to try things. We, you know, we would try different, you know, each take, we would try something different. It was always like, let's experiment with this. Let's try a little bit of that, you know? Um, and he was never like, there's no resistance. He was always a like, game to try. He's always game to do stuff. So he's always coming to play, you know? So I really appreciated all of that. Like, he was just, you know, at the end of the day, he's a great partner. Like you, you'd be lucky, uh, to work with someone, uh, uh, you know, half as generous and and wonderful as Chris.
0: Chris, I had to pause your movie halfway through uh, to text some really close friends of mine who are also action movie junkies and say, Chris McKay made a 90s Bruckheimer film here. <laughs> um, and I meant that with all due respect. I mean, I was enjoying myself so much because I got to this one point where like in the middle of your film... There's an action set piece where in my mind, I thought, well, this has to be the end (laughs) and it's, and it's not. Um, And so I don't want to give away any spoilers, but like, was it deliberate for you to mess with structure? Is that what appealed to you about this, this take?
6: Definitely. I mean, you could, you know, anybody that read the script, I think when, when, when the thing that we're, that we're talking about happens, um, yeah, people are like, wait a minute, what the fuck is happening? Like, I thought this was going to go a different way. I like that the movie ha- is, is sort of like there. there's definite chapters. And even when sort of like thinking about it from a design standpoint and from a tone standpoint and stuff like that, I was always talking in terms of you've got a beginning that's a little bit children of men. Like you want it to sort of feel a little bit slightly dystopian. And it doesn't go children of men, is a beautiful movie. It doesn't it go as far as children of men, but just as a this is something to chase. Right. Like from a filmmaking standpoint, we're going to chase a little bit of children of men in there. It's going to very slowly. I mean, the people land from the future. Yes. But then we we go back to the regular world and you're just in Chris Pratt's point of view. You're just seeing what Chris sees and what Chris understands. You're you're seeing how the world's changed, the dystopian, you know, how the world's getting a little bit more dystopian. And then very slowly, the sci-fi things, you know, he gets an armband. He's got to, you know, he's got to go talk to his estranged father to maybe get the armband off. That doesn't go. Then he goes to the military processing place. And, and, you know, you, you get, you know, you start to see the Army of the Ordinary. Come together and the colors change and the mood changes and things like that and then the wormhole opens and it's big color and then you go into Miami and it's a war movie that becomes kind of a horror movie and then it's all hell breaks loose on the streets and then yeah and then you get into stuff that we get into in the in the you know when we go to when we go to the uh the FOB and and all the way down to Deep Swell and that sort of thing and it's it's almost like a old western kind of you know uh, a last stand Elmo kind of thing at the at the at the Deep Swell And then it kind of becomes a little bit like a heist movie where you're going to put a team together and go do something. And, you know, yeah, I think that stuff like I think because the movie continues to evolve organically out of the situations and that sort of thing. It keeps a movie that's over two hours long from feeling like it's two hours long. But it's also to your point about Jerry Bruckheimer. um, uh, It's also a movie where there's a lot of fun cast turns and people that show up that you're pleased to see, even if they're only on screen for a little while. You get there's a joy to some of that stuff that they get to do and you're kind of you know, the movie just keeps kind of um, for lack of a better way of describing it, entertaining you um with something new uh every every chance we get.
0: So. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things I admired most about it was the pace of it. Like it 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 basically puts the foot on the pedal and doesn't stop from the time it gets going. And so can you replicate pace on a set or is it something that just comes together in the edit? Is it something you can get your actors to mimic?
6: Yeah, I mean, you sometimes I mean, you know, it's, it's sometimes you know, you play music on set and things like that to sort of get us in the mood and, and get people feeling like what the movie's going to feel like. So there's times like that where you want to to do that. And, you, and sometimes you talk in terms of of uh, uh, you know the rat a tat tat of his girl Friday or something like that to sort of get you know. There's another, there's like there's common things uh, that, that we all know that you can use to sort of get people to start of think about something. Um, and then and then some of it is just like um, you know what you cut out of stuff where where you maybe you don't you don't see it now because we we've cut it out, but we may we might have cut it out on the page when we were in the middle of the scene shooting, and I might have said, you know what? We're over-describing something here, and we can really go from this point to this point. I think that actually makes a better connection. So let's in this next take, let's eliminate this whole thing. And you're just gonna say, you're gonna go from here to here, and and sometimes discoveries would happen and so then all of a sudden people are like oh yeah and then they start clicking and they kind of organically are doing something because now it's moving at a a certain speed so there's lots of things like that i mean some of it's unconscious some of it's very deliberate but yeah there's a lot of things like that that happen
0: i need to know what your budget was for uh ammunition or or fake ammunition or blanks
6: yeah i I think honestly gary uh uh, tours who's the prop master who, who designed the guns and stuff like that um all that stuff. I think he said that maybe we were second to uh Transformers three with the amount of live ammunition that we shot. And Transformers Three was a crazy amount of live ammunition that they shot. Right. Uh, movie for that for the scenes in Chicago and on the street and stuff like that. So he said that like we were second only to to Transformers three for the amount of live ammo.
0: That's insane. Yeah. I was speaking to your cast and they were talking about how after a, a, a shot, after a take, you had to go through and sweep up all the shells because they can't be there for continuity. <laughs> yeah.
6: Yeah. I like doing so practically, you know, like I want, I want it, you know, that's why I wanted as many practical occasions. Let's, let's not do as much, let's do as little green screen as possible. I mean, obviously we had to do sky replacements and building replacements to turn Atlanta into Miami and things like that. But I, but I, I you know, there were, I just wanted us to, you know, you know, I wanted real muzzle flash. I wanted shells flying, and I and I also wanted the the real danger because you know when shells are flying, I mean, there, there's one shot that we didn't have that we didn't put in the movie. There's actually two two things I'll describe that we, that we didn't put uh, in the movie, but one of them was like Chris and Mike Mitchell like behind a car shooting at the white spikes down the end of the street in Miami. And there's like fucking shells flying out of Chris's thing and they're bouncing like over Mike Mitchell's head. Cause he had just, you know, cause they're playing it like it's real. Like there's, like there's spikes flying. So Chris gets in there and they're firing and Mike's getting down and there's shells flying over Mike's head and it looks really cool. And then there's one, one of the slow motion shots. We, we, we cut it just before this thing happened, but Chris, Chris is firing at the white spike towards the end of that scene. And it's in super, we use the Phantom of super slow motion. And one of the shells just like went up and then like, instead of like going over chris it like went off and then bounced off his shoulder and then bounced down in slow motion it looked really cool but uh it was one of those things where the shot was already going on too long and so we cut it but yeah
0: you remember when we as an audience went from first blood to rambo part two
2: yeah 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 exactly exactly
0: <laughs> that slow motion bit sounds really cool <laughs> like i wouldn't even yeah. catch it for that um one thing I loved about this movie too, is that it boasts really strong women characters, uh, that you had women warriors and you didn't shy away from that. Is it another aspect of the script that really appealed to you?
6: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, the fa- having a father daughter, uh, story and, 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 and having, you know, a strong, uh, you know, Lieutenant Hart could have been a man or a woman and, and, uh, Jasmine, uh, you know, was, was the right actor for that. Yvonne's is the right actor for Romeo command. Um, you know, uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 to me, it's, you know, like it, I just want the world, you know, when I make a movie, I just want the world to look like the world that I see as much mm-hmm. as possible. So, uh so I'm, so I try to cast it like that. I would try to cast like what, what the world looks like to me.
0: You have a Sergeant Diaz. Is that a Sergeant Vasquez, Vasquez uh, <laughs> nod?
6: Yeah, me, I, for, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, uh, I see, yeah, you I, Seychelles was great. Seychelles was really, uh, it was a lot of fun working with her she was uh she was one of those uh people who really came to play and really took to the gun training and all that stuff really well and got really good at like um you know switching you know clips out and and uh and and firing weapons she looked really she looked really cool when she was uh when she was in the training scene she was awesome
0: so one thing i love about tomorrow war also is the fact that you have this amazing creature design um, and you don't hide it. It's not one of those elements where like, oh, we're going to, we're going to disguise the creature for a long period of time. Like they're coming at you fast and furious from the get go. So what, what were some challenges to getting the creature designed the way you wanted it? And what were maybe some, some obstacles that come with their very unique talents?
6: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's tough to, you know, when, when you've got such a high bar for a- alien design, when you think about the xenomorph and you think about predator and, you know, maybe the independence day alien or something like that comes to mind, uh, but then kind of after that you don't you know there's uh there's still a lot of uh there's still a lot of room out there to make something really cool um it's just that those things i mean you can't help but you know th- those are the things that were formative stuff when i was like when i was a kid um but i but uh for me you know i wanted the aliens to be to look ancient to look old to to look hungry to have a feral intelligence um and uh and those were the design challenges i put out to the team and they came up with some really cool really odd stuff and and one of the reasons why we settled on this is because there was there was a there was a there was you could understand that they were that they had armor that was impenetrable that they could armor up they could also communicate to each other they had offensive weaponry with the tentacles and and that sort of thing and and so there was a lot of uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, pros to the, to that design. They are also kind of just scary. They looked they they looked like evil, and 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 they looked their teeth looked messed up and stuff like that, and just stuff that I was really trying to chase. So, um, it, when we came down to movement, the you know there was you know I wanted them to move like wolves and coyotes. So it was kind of trying to study some of that, but also they had the ability to like, you know, spider walk up a wall and all of that kind of thing. You know, and so I wanted something, I wanted something that was like creepy, like Linda Blair and the exorcist on the stairwell. And I wanted stuff that was, you know, also like sort of like, holy shit, they're fast and they're agile and they, you know, they're going to come and you know, they're going to attack. Um, and, and that communication I think was key too. So it was a lot, I mean, we went through, we had lucky, lucky we had a great, you know, Jamie Price, uh, visual effects supervisor was amazing uh and, and the teams that he put together at the different studios that did it is particularly weta uh but all of our studios Framestore, everybody um uh they they put uh they, they they really brought a lot to the table to make the white spikes feel like characters because to me that's the most important thing i didn't want them to feel like just monsters or things or whatever i wanted them to feel like characters and I think that's the, makes the difference between why something's memorable or not. It's that you feel like, even though I don't understand their language or something like that, I know something about them by watching them, you know? And so a lot of times I've just asked for really like observed detail as much as humanly possible.
0: Chris, I'm going to run out of time. Um, but as you can tell, because I dress like a, a grown man, uh, I'm a comic book fanatic. And one of my heartbroken lost projects is your Nightwing project. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, how close did that come to becoming a reality, man? Nightwing is one of my favorite characters.
6: I hope, I hope it's still a reality. I mean, I hope that we still get to make that movie. Um, it's, it's not, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's not lost yet. It is. Oh, good. It is obviously something that, you know, they've had other priorities, they've had other challenges, and they've had things that they need to. You know, to do. Uh, and I think that they found their way. I mean, I think their recent successes and the stuff that they're planning on doing now, I think opens the door for us to be able to still do a Nightwing movie. And in, in whether you call it in an alternate universe or you, you pick sort of in their multiverse version, which universe is part of or whatever, there's different ways into it. But Nightwing is a big, action-packed, emotional movie it's very similar it may not be it may not budgetarily it may not be similar to what we do with tomorrow war but from a scope and scale standpoint as far as like the kind of action and the kind of heart that's there that that's what nightwing is going to be all about so yeah
0: i mean seeing what you did with this movie i can't wait to see Bloodhaven. i'm sure it's gonna look phenomenal
6: so yeah yeah i can't yeah i can't wait to do that too
0: that's awesome man thank you so much for your time i loved this movie it was a great time
6: thank you very much yeah it's good seeing you
0: Thank you very much to Amazon Studios for giving us time with uh, Chris McKay. Really great guy. And check out The Tomorrow War (laughs) when it opens, uh, when it hits Amazon Prime. Jake is actually reenacting a special chapter of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, where Cliff is giving someone a ride in their car. Uh, We are very, very excited for the live show as our talking points. But we're going to go right to this week in movies um, because there's a lot of stuff that's opening up. And some of the stuff we haven't seen, including... The Boss Baby family business is opening in theaters. No one seen, no one. Boss Baby, nothing. I'm talking to Alec tomorrow. Are you really?
4: Yeah. No, you're not. You're, you're flying it? home. Oh, after I talked to Alec.
0: For real? Yeah. Oh. I wanted to do that junket, but then, like, everybody who was doing it bailed out on it, essentially. Really? Unless you're Jake Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. Alec Baldwin. No, we didn't get Alec Baldwin. Again, it's an online versus. First
3: first for, for my <laughs> for interviews, they, it was uh, it was Alec Baldwin and Amy Sedaris. They were paired. Who are they? But yeah, I think Jake's getting, yeah, getting Baldwin solo.
0: solo. God, Why are you so special? Uh, Summer of Soul, which is help me out with this, Gabe. Questlove's documentary.
5: Questlove, yeah. Questlove uh, I think it's the first thing he's directed. Okay, um, it's a documentary about oh I forget the name of the festival, the Harlem uh, Cultural Festival. Same year as Woodstock. It's like sixty miles from Woodstock. It uh, it's this week's long sort of celebration. Did it happened um, at the same time? I don't know if it was exactly I haven't seen
0: it yet. So. that'd be bad, bad planning. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible? Hey, we got a great festival going on. What else, where is everybody? What else yeah. is going on? Do you guys on? ever see that film Taking Woodstock? No. I like yeah.
4: that film with the Angley film. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It's basically about a um a farm a couple of miles down the road from Woodstock that uh, kind of becomes sort of the uh, a hangout place for as all, the, as all the cars start piling up on the road. Um, yeah, so so yeah. Uh, the full title, I don't know if
5: you said the full title, Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, which is a great oh, interesting. turn on that.
0: Where is classic. that, Hulu?
5: Um,
0: Why do I think it's on Hulu?
5: I feel like it's Hulu, yeah. I feel like it's Hulu. Well, check it out. Summer of Soul. It looks great. I'm excited to see it. We didn't get any advanced copies of it. Um, Questlove, of course, the drummer of The Roots of and famed DJ. Uh, which is an exciting. It's always exciting to see someone that you know is creative sort of jump into sure. the directing field. Um, but it looks good. It looks great. All
0: right, coming to theaters from Universal, The Forever Purge. Um, I'll start with this one because I don't. I think I've talked about this on the show. I don't love the Purge movies. Um, you like sort of that that version of horror more so than I do.
4: I like the idea more than I like the final product. I think it's a really fascinating idea that I don't think any of the films have been able to truly
0: capitalize on. Okay. Kevin, did you see it?
3: I have not seen that, but I am very excited about listening to an interview that you did with Mr. Josh Lucas that (laughs) I've been hearing rave reviews about. I know that, uh, and by the way, I think our audience is going to be really, really surprised how much of a cinephile uh, Josh Lucas is. So I just wanted to plug that. I think we'll have that on the show next week, Friday, right? Friday. So oh, this is actually this be out Friday. On Friday this coming What's I
4: weird think. is that Sean only had sweet home Alabama questions. It's true. Yes.
5: Yeah. So, so them.
3: if you're listening it's, to this now, it's going to be a bonus episode on Friday. So make sure you yeah, keep an eye out for I, the tweets.
5: Sorry. I mentioned it earlier, um, that I, this interview was great. And we always prefer when the three of you can do it, but this is one that, um, Sean did solo and I was there to, you know, for tech reasons and it turned into a massive cinephile conversation and him wanting to just keep—he was very casual and very relaxed, and just kept wanting to talk about cinematographers and directors and the kind of stuff that we talk about on the show. And I think I think the kids at home are going to yeah. Love
3: Sean it. tells a story, and and I I, I, I want to keep this obviously for the for the for the listeners to listen. But there was a, a moment I'll let Sean tell this in the interview where you kind of like it clicked in your mind that this wasn't just going to be like a standard movie interview. You were like, oh, this guy wants to talk cinema.
0: Yeah, so I'll, I'll explain. There's one of my questions that I had for Forever Purge, and then I'll quickly review Forever Purge after, but there's a shot uh, where Josh Lucas is driving sort of like a semi-truck um, with five or six people who are survivors, and there's a, a a pretty fun, like one of the reasons why I like this movie is they put a lot of really good, um, relevant political commentary in it, and one of the reasons is like one, they do the purge, the 24-hour purge, but then there is a group that decides that when the twenty-four hours is up, they're not gonna abide by going back to normal. They're gonna do the forever purge. And so they're, they're just keeping the purge going. So, so America crime. they're gonna commit crime. Well, and murder, yes, yes. And murder with no repercussion kind of thing. Um, and our government doesn't know how to handle it. And so in the uh absence of rules and laws, Canada and Mexico both say we're gonna open our borders and we and Americans can come to us you know but you, you have to get across our border in the next 12 hours bef- before we're going to shut them down so they're driving to uh, the Mexican border and they're in El Paso and there's an amazing shot that goes around the cab of the car and follows all of the people who are sitting in it and then f- and then finally comes back around to the person who's in the passenger seat and follows them out of the car into this crowd into this massive crowd and it was such a great shot and I want to ask Joshua Lucas how they filmed it and the ke- the moment that Kevin's talking about is that he he said oh yeah uh we talked about that one of the first days that we started filming, and we referred to it as our children of men shot. And I, that's when I was like, oh, cool. I can yeah. at least talk to Josh Lucas about this. But he was so down to just talk about filmmaking and all the people who he, he adores and the directors he's worked with over the years that in a 45-minute interview, you have a lot of time and you want to dedicate time to the movie that they're promoting. Mm-hmm. And there were times in the middle of this interview when I kept saying, like, all right, well, let's get back to The Purge. And he'd be like, yeah, I don't really like scary movies anyway. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Chivo and let's yeah. talk about all, like, he was just the greatest guy.
3: And for the audience who may have not seen children of man, I know a lot of our audience has, but, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's one of the greatest movies ever made Alfonso Cuaron. And the shot that Sean is referring to is a shot that is in, in a vehicle with Chuitella for Julianne Moore and Clive Owen. It's the, pi- uh, the ping pong ball shot. And a little, uh, interesting fact about that scene is the ping pong ball is fully CGI. So the actors are basically spitting nothing at each other. Um, it's a really phenomenal scene, and they really uh, created a, a special kind of camera rig for that. That the actors were literally ducking under as the camera spun around the car to capture it. And the fact that a purge movie um, has the and a Koran homage shot—it's uh, just one of those things. Like we, as a podcast, we are dedicated so much to film craft. That when you talk to an actor like Josh Lucas, who's been in so many movies, you never know where they lie in terms of, are they a cinephile? Do they really care about cameras and and, and things like that? And I I know I wasn't there for the interview, but I can 100% see a light bulb going off in Sean's mind. The moment he said that there's no question that was I'm so excited to hear it. The
0: director of The Forever Purge, his name is Everardo Valerio Gout. And I really think he's going to be someone that we're going to want to pay attention to.
3: Okay, Um, because
0: I like I like The Purge, Forever Purge, a decent amount. And I don't love those movies at all, um, but it's really well made. It's got a ton of craft to it. I think it takes the concept of The Purge the ne- to, the, to another step uh, and really connects it to contemporary events. So I would absolutely recommend you guys go check it out.
3: I also. We liked- need Chivo on our show, by the way. Oh, that would be incredible. Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't need Chivo Emmanuel Lubezki, if you're listening like right we, now. Like we just haven't wanted yeah. him up till this yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. And now oh, we're really decided- going The yeah, cinematographer, yeah. <laughs> Children of Men, Revenant. Please, if you're ever listening to Real Blood, We
4: stalked him at a party. He's never going to come on our show. Jake and
3: I went to a party that had DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, and the whole cast of The Revenant, and the only person we cared about finding... The bear. ...was was Lubezki. We we went to the party just to meet Chivo, which was like... And we met him. Remember uh, uh, Alejandro and Yuritu's Gonzalez's daughter helped us meet Alejandro, Gonzalez and Yuritu? (laughs) That was... uh, Anyway, so... So far on
0: the show, we've had Deacons. Yeah. And we had Richardson.
3: Yeah. So... Yeah.
0: We're not that far away. Yeah. I think we can make this happen.
3: Lubezki would be a really big deal because I would just want to talk about gravity. That's the whole reason Real Blend exists. (laughs) That's very true. It's because of gravity. Yeah, that's
0: true. A long time ago. This episode of
5: Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show.
1: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place, by working more efficiently.
3: Listen, I actually found this film to be super engaging um, in terms of uh, action and intensity. I mean, is it? It's very, very familiar. I mean, there's no question that when you're watching it, Jake and I were discussing this earlier. There's Terminator involved in it. There's a Edge of Tomorrow an element involved. In it just by nature of the name, um, but also just an uh, Aliens. You know, for me, Chris Pratt. Th- this is a big film that's coming out on Amazon Prime Video. I wish it was in theaters. Mm-hmm it's definitely a theatrical film. Sure. I mean, it was, it
4: was a paramount made it right.
3: Right. Yes. And there's no question that uh, this film would have been epic on a big screen. Like there, is, I, I will say this is a PG 13 film. It's pretty brutal. Like it's very, very raw. Um, I actually really enjoyed, uh, is it Yvonne strahovsky yeah. uh, from Chuck? She's great in the film. I mean, to me, it, is it a movie that I look back on and go, man, should everyone go out and see it? it's worth watching maybe on amazon prime at home like the actions d is is very good i thought chris pratt was solid in the film um but jake i don't know if you're with me it wasn't anything like special but i didn't find it to be bad the It was fact like that it was a
4: movie this big and the is this much of a spectacle and the nicest thing we can say about it is it's worthy of watching on amazon prime i don't well, think it's a compliment
3: I, I, let me clarify that when i say it's worthy about watching on amazon prime i'm saying it's worth watching is the point I'm making, because the only option you yeah. have is to watch it on Amazon yeah. Prime.
4: Here, here's what I'll say, is if it were opening in theaters, I would say wait till it's on Amazon Prime.
3: So I would, uh, I would say go to a theater I, to see it. I, I like I, Tomorrow. I, I, I thought too. it, yeah. it, it no, was... I did. Yeah, I Sean it, liked it quite a bit. I actually. thought it was really solid. I mean, I, I, I actually really found... The questions that it asked. Oh, I'll get into this because this is something that meant a lot to me personally because this is is the whole point of the show is how movies affect us personally. Sure. Um, The thing I liked about the film a lot was its celebration of science and innovation. Mm -hmm. It's all about celebrating science. And to me... The scenes that hit me the most in that film, while the special effects are cool, I, I like the classroom scenes with the kids that he was teaching. Yep. Because there was a kid in the class who would always raise his hand and try to get uh, and try to answer, ask a question or answer a question, and that was me in high school. I, I, I just really resonated with that idea of that kid coming back around later in the story and being important to the story. Um, and I, to me, it was it's so funny. I've watched it once. This was three or three or four weeks ago or so. I remember very vividly things about it that I really liked. Um, I, I, it's one of those things where like, like Jake's like, yeah, if you're saying, is it worthy watching on Amazon Prime? Is it a great film? No, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, to me, it's worth watching. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I, I described it as like a 90s Bruckheimer movie. Yeah, perfect It reminded me very much of that level. Like it's it's – it's got a sheen sort of to it. The action is, is choreographed in a certain way. I asked Chris McKay in our interview about the ammunition budget. It feels like they were firing off a million rounds in that movie. I loved the creature design of it. Um, I liked the concept of what if people from the future came back and started to re- having to recruit us to be soldiers. Yeah. So what, what did you not – how come you didn't connect to it?
4: I, I, to me, it, it felt like a very expensive, well-made sci-fi – sci-fi. M- a channel original oh, film?
3: No, it felt, it felt large. <laughs> I, 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 it felt I think large you, you
4: scale back the budget and uh, you replace Chris Pratt with, you know, I don't know. Uh, There's one, some one good of the new shark. That's great. In it. See, I think I, to me, I don't, I don't like this generic action Pratt star. I like, right. I, like, like this, his performance in Jurassic world. To me, they're just kind of flavorless performances. They're yeah. I, 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 To me, there's just, there's nothing there.
3: Is there anything, yeah, at the end of the day, is there anything that's sparked on screen with Pratt I would say no, but I thought How he. Can was Could he you say? He's good, though. I think he was good enough for the role. Good, okay, good or good enough? No, no, no. See, there's a difference between like, is did he blow my mind? Like, is he? Is he like? Is he the biggest action star of all time? No, but for me, it worked. I thought he played the film and made it work for me personally.
4: Yeah, I, I look. I'm not saying the movie was bad. I I, I didn't hate it. It make me mad. I just walked away from that sort of going like. That was fine. Do you know I, I think
0: in a, in an action role there's really bad. You can have people who are really bad who just look sure. like they're, they're not they don't belong there. There's people who are perfectly fine. And then there's great people. Like Harrison Ford would be a great like when he's in an action sure. movie, you're like, oh, he's yeah. great. Right. You know. Pratt is just that guy. He's he's good. Yeah, he's Pratt good. is acceptably good.
3: Like, yeah. I, like like when I and I know I know I know I know what Jake's saying. It sounds like I'm like I'm I, 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 that. I'm not saying he's great. Saying,
4: okay, so you can't put acceptably and good. It's like is it, is, is, it is, is he fine or, or is he good? Do you know
3: where I'm coming from on this? He, like he, is works, he fine or is he good? He works in the movie. He worked for it. That's all I'm saying. He in the movie. It, 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 it to me when I watched it, I believed what Jay, he was doing. I guess. And I know thought, I- <laughs> to be honest with you, I can't get into why because it was it would be a spoiler. But I found. The way the film turned out in terms of the arc yeah. and the quote unquote twist of sure. it, um, I thought that was really well done. I, I, I liked it. I, I thought that worked. It, it's weird because, like, when I walked away from Tomorrow War, that I say, "Man, Chris Pratt was brilliant in that movie." No, he just worked for the movie. Yeah. And, I, and, and I know it sounds like I'm kind of being negative, but I'm really not. It just it was it was a performance that worked in the world, and I enjoyed it. All right, let's move on yeah. to
0: uh, Steven Soderbergh's No Sudden Move.
3: His best movie in. Years, I actually think, and I was telling you guys, it's it's like Ocean's Eleven with an R rated, out of sight quality to it, sprinkled in with Fargo. And there's something, and in our interview with Soderbergh, if you missed it, it's available on iTunes. Obviously, you can find uh, on YouTube as well. We get into a conversation about Quentin Tarantino and the idea of retirement and filmmakers making bad films later in their career. And to me, this is an example of a filmmaker who hasn't really made a great movie in a long time. Yeah, I would argue. I mean, I can't remember his last. Logan, great. Logan Lucky was great. Logan Lucky was good. Logan, I think Logan Lucky was great. Do you think it was like traffic out of sight, oceans oh, level? No, I'm that's, saying it was something he had a really. Great. I thought it was enjoyable. I, I thought like Logan Contagion was, was great.
5: I think it's. I, I love Logan. Contagion was good. I thought Contagion was great, and and made all the better by. The See, last year. to me, this is my the favorite. Characters in Logan Lucky are, I think, are. They're a lot of fun.
3: I would argue that Logan Lucky has Dan- one of Daniel Craig's best performances of his career, for sure.
5: And I think that yeah. uh, uh, Channing Tatum and um, uh, Adam Driver and Adam Driver also are playing equally outrageous characters <laughs> yeah. for them, and, and and they do it
3: well. I'll tell you why Logan Lucky doesn't register like on the scale of. Traffic or an Ocean's Eleven. I remember the I remember the actors who were in Logan Lucky. I remember they had exquisite performances, but I don't remember what the movie was about. I don't remember. You should much. rewatch watch
5: it? You should revisit. It's really it's really great and it's well yeah. crafted. It has an Ocean's. Um, it's like a it's like a hillbilly Ocean's. Yeah, that's movie. that's the best way it, to, it to describe it. It has an Ocean's it, sure, like, but it even but it has that level of uh, detail, suspense, and quality to the whole heist of it.
0: But do we all agree that this is better? Because <laughs> I think I have, this is better. Oh, I haven't yeah. seen this yet, yeah. but it sounds like oh, it's great.
4: I, I loved this. And to me, this is um, almost Soderbergh doing Coen Brothers. Yes, like to me, this is yeah. his Fargo, in which the is sense kind of that, funny because
0: he's saying Logan Lucky is a little bit Cohen-y, yeah, and it is. Yeah. So Soderbergh sure. might just yeah. be going down that road. Just the the a idea
4: bit. of uh, a crime gone wrong, yeah, um, where
0: you're trying to figure out,
4: wait, that didn't go the way, and then also there's without getting too much into it. The, the average Joe who who thinks he's on par with the criminals and finds out very quickly in all the wrong ways that he is in way over his head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a great cast, but everyone kind of gets their moment. Um, and uh, it, no one feels like they're in it just to be like, all these characters are, are yeah. pretty, pretty well established in their own right.
0: We joke about this a lot of times in movies that when a, a, f- a story teases a character that we haven't met yet, and they're significant. Then, when you meet that person, it better be played by someone yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. And when a movie drops the ball on that, I think savvy cinematographers or people who watch movies a lot will go, "Ah, oh, that's all you got. Ah, yeah, you know? that's, oh, that's who it is."
3: The performances in the film are amazing. I mean, I, Del Toro is one of my favorite actors of all time, and like when he. When he's on screen, he commands such an interesting presence yeah. that I'm just always fascinated by every detail of his performance his mannerisms, his eyes. There's something about his eyes. And um, there's a really fun moment in the film. Um, the characters, if you listen to our Soderbergh interview, uh, the characters are wearing these like really freakishly weird, simple masks. Um, so, for the, for, I'll give the storyline. So, essentially, David Harbour's character um, and his wife and his kids live in this home. Uh, David Harbour's character has access to a certain document that is connected to a negative aspect. of the automobile industry um it's actually a really profound film because it really kind of digs into a history of Detroit that I didn't know much about so like through through the entertainment of what Soderbergh brings as a director I actually learned history about Detroit so to me not getting into it that title card at the end was very interesting 100% and like to me it's a win-win when a film is not only just entertaining but it's also like I had absolutely no idea yeah. that these that the neighborhoods were displaced in this way that this was all happening. I mean, obviously we we have a concept of kind of that time period, but I didn't know the Detroit specific story. And I think uh, at the end of the day, the basic premise is Harbor has an a- as access to a document that is kind of that would be damaging to the automobile industry, and uh, some type of character wants access to it. So he hires these three bad guys, Kieran, Colkin. Del Toro's character and then um, Don, Don Cheadle. Cheadle, and like as, as Jake said, it's like this: the idea of like what can go wrong. Like, you know, this could be a simple in and out. You go in, you get the document from Harbor, and that's it. But obviously, something goes wrong. Yeah. Something goes I also wrong.
0: Love that in our interview that Soderbergh said, like I wrote this to work with Don Cheadle. Like I don't think Don Cheadle gets that kind of attention from a lot of people. Yeah, like, well, he's taking it for ensemble. granted a little bit. Cause cause this is this his sixth movie, great,
3: with Soderbergh? But he's great. He's yeah. so good in this. I I was thinking. Uh, I was talking, when we did the junket for this, Don Cheadle and Del Toro were were paired together. Cool pairing. It was a great pairing. You know what one of Don Cheadle's best movies is? And it's, it's not a Soderbergh movie. Is Boogie Nights. Like, Oh, oh my yeah. God. Do you remember that scene in the, in the donut shop? He just wants shop? to listen to yeah. country music. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I can relate. Yes. <laughs> but um, I, I want to give Soderbergh credit, obviously. Uh, he's the DP on this film. He's been a DP on a lot of his films. Um, he's named Peter Andrews as the DP. You can learn learn that about that in our interview, which is interesting as well. Um, I love the lens choices in this film. It was yeah. a very, very immersive, very deep uh, depth of field, I would argue, just in terms of the way the lens captures the atmosphere. Yeah,
0: I want to let people in on the, a little bit behind the scenes too. Like, Kevin will watch something before us and he'll start texting us about very specific technical details. And when he was be like, when he's like, guys the lenses in this movie and i was like all right kevin's on a tear but then i, I, watched I usually get it.
4: nervous whenever he does that because my I, nine times out of ten i'm gonna go like oh it's gonna be something that's gonna annoy
3: me <laughs> like it's, snyder's it's, aspect gonna be an, it's gonna be ratio an aspect like ratio like you yeah. ended up liking snyder's aspect ratio for uh justice no. league you said it was one of the greatest superhero movies of all time that's true
0: it's what it says on the box yes you know what would have made a it better? Bitch.
3: Oh, a full <laughs> screen aspect ratio. makes
0: <laughs> no sense. But the lenses in this are really phenomenal. Yeah. And they add really cool. something really special so, to it.
3: So and for for, <laughs> for a visual perspective, it's almost like a fish eye, but not as jarring. It's uh, these lenses that he used in the film are they they add this really interesting sense of surrealism to the world, if yeah. that makes sense. It was it was it was kind of like a perfect um, and the guy who does his score, is it David Holmes? Um, it feels like you're, it has that pacing yeah. of the oceans yeah. music and yeah, yeah. Soderbergh's really good at that. Like underscored, like almost like jazz feeling to the way i yeah. scene moves. I expected
4: this to be not that it, yeah. w- it would have been bad. It had it been, but I was expecting this to be a much slower film. hundred percent. Yeah. And
3: that, and this thing, it mo- moved because yes. of Dave, I think David Holmes is sc- Gore, if I hope I'm mm-hmm. getting his name right, is kind of what makes that move. But you'll really notice the lenses, if you if you want to look out for it, in shots where the camera is like either turning or moving. Watch shots. Or a where tracking people, shot. Right. Or they're walking to a car. Basically, the way I can uh, describe the lens is if you have an iPhone 12 or one of the latest iPhones, if you go to the wide angle lens on your phone and shoot a video and, tur- and move your camera, you'll see the left and right side of the screen mm-hmm. morphing a bit. That's kind of what the movie plays out as. It's not as jarring as that, but it's a really interesting choice. And well, I think see it. The movie is available. Yeah, can watch it now. Yeah, you can watch well, if it have HBO Max. It's available on HBO Max. And I think this is only in HBO Max only. Correct. correct? I don't so, think yeah. there's any theatrical. I, I think it's to safe this. to say it's one
0: of my favorite movies so far this year. I li- it's one yeah. of the best
3: movies. Of the I liked year. it a lot. And it's also one of the best films Soderbergh's made in a long time. Well,
0: we're gonna right. play Steven Soderbergh blend later in the show. Maybe that's so Kevin's choice. So it might be Kevin's choice. Put a, put a, I don't
3: think it is. Don't make any sudden moves. Put a in that.
0: Jake, tell us why Zola is such a special film. Oh
3: man, <laughs> this film. Uh, so for people that
4: um, haven't had a chance to listen to our bonus episode, which you absolutely should, after seeing the film, Janex de Bravo. Yeah, she's uh, she she's a talent to watch for sure. So this is a film based on uh, a, a 2015. Twitter thread that involved 148 tweets. Now a, it involves the idea of an exotic dancer who met up through particular circumstances with, uh, with another girl who is a dancer and the girl she meets says, look, my boyfriend and my roommate are going to hop in a car and drive to Florida and there's this club that we've been told that we can make massive money at if we dance. Would you like to join us? And she says sure, why not? Over the course of, of their two day trip to Florida, Zola starts noticing that things are just a little strange so she starts tweeting. And things just get more and more ridiculous. Over the course of 48 hours, not to give too much away, it ends up involving sex trafficking, uh, pimps, prostitutes, a man that throws himself off a balcony, and murder. And so all the while, she's tweeting while it's happening. And now those tweets have been turned into a film called Zola. And this thing was just I, every, every 15 minutes, I think I let out the F word. Uh, which, for some reason, I'm, I'm I'm too shy to say now uh, on the show, but uh, I, yeah,
3: it's uh, it's I was astounded with
4: the style, the rawness of it. The rawness um, comes from
3: the 16 millimeter. It's it's a, it's really really gritty. Yeah, like very grainy, but in in a way where you the grain actually becomes part yeah. of the story. It, it, you're watching something that's kind of dirty. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean that in the best way possible from a filmmaking perspective, this film feels dirty yeah. because a lot of the environment in that world, man. you're in it, you're in it, you're in but it. But also Taylor Page and Riley it. Keough sell it. Yeah. They sell oh, yeah, it. 100%. Oh my God.
4: Oh, and, 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 um, and uh, I'm sorry, I forget. I'm Nicholas Braun.
3: Uh, uh, Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo.
4: Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Domingo
3: my deserves, God. Uh, marked by awards, that dude deserves an Academy Award nomination for his performance in this movie. He is absolutely... So D- Domingo's character, he has like two... Characters essentially, right? Like he's he's one. It's one guy, but he has two versions of himself, uh, where he's being nice, and then where he's being rather unpleasant. And that change in, I think he even changes his accent when yeah. he when he when he goes into that it's um, like a Jamaican
0: accent he takes on. It's pretty
3: wild. Yeah. Um, it terrified me so much, um, but the film itself highly recommend it. It is incredible. Uh, Janiksa um, did an amazing wow. job mm-hmm. with the film, and I, I again shout out to them for shooting on film. I mean, this is a this is a low budget. Indie film that they were able to shoot on 16, which is not that far from reality if you were years ago, but nowadays when you're shooting movies like this, you're shooting them digitally. Sure. But you cannot replicate 16 like this. I mean, you guys saw Mother Aronofsky's movie, shot 16 as well, Super 16. So it's there, it really is um, an immersive tool that puts you in, you can almost taste and smell the environment, and that's not really. That's something that, – uh, there's a whole sequence, uh, which I, I guess is part of the Twitter threads. so it's not really a spoiler, where a character is having sex with multiple men throughout the night, and it is just horrifically gross to watch yeah. but you feel like you're yep. there and i think that was the point you, you they you were supposed you were supposed to feel like you were along for the ride like zola yeah. right like you were experiencing it just like she was mm-hmm. like we we are zola as we watch the movie so it's really it's, it's interesting so what's I the name it.
0: of the girl the not riley keogh the other girl she, this is a relative new page she is so good oh my god yes yeah, she's fantastic yeah. it's a really tough part but um, I, don't, I
4: don't see how anyone in this business, anyone in Hollywood, if you're a, a producer or a casting director, looks at that film and doesn't immediately think, I got to find something for her. Right. And
3: exactly. Taylor Page, by the way, um, if uh, if you remember Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, um, she plays the character who is with Chabot Bozeman in the film. She's amazing in that movie, too. So if you remember in Ma Rainey, Taylor Page's character shows up with, she's with um, so Viola Davis. So this is character. the second film
4: she's done with Coleman Domingo.
3: Right. Oh, right. interesting yeah okay. so she's great in ma Rainey's. It, it, it's a smaller part but the part's very important oh, to what happens yeah. to chadwick's character yeah
0: all right let's move on to our blend game this week uh, in honor of the gentleman who joined us on last week's episode we're playing steven soderbergh blend i'm gonna go first my only choice can be um oceans 11 that's also my choice <sighs> but i'm trying to decide if i like 11 more than 12.
3: ah See, i think 12 is better than 11. ah
0: 12 is fantastic. 12 is not my pick, but 12, nah. is 12, is, 12
3: is 12 is 12 is better than 11 purely because of Julia Roberts. No. That the, the bit with Julia Roberts. 12 is one of my, one of my least favorite Soderbergh films. No, It's so weird. Yes. I love 12. 12 I, I never, hey, your thoughts. I never understood the hate
5: for 12. I never understood it. I understand. I wouldn't say it's one of my least favorite.
3: It, it insists films. upon itself. I like 12. It is it's Man. very
0: aware of what it is. Um, the it, Julia
3: Roberts bit's brilliant.
0: No, that that, that is a bit brilliant is bit. Brilliant. But there's a lot of stuff leading up to. I understand what Jake is saying. It has a lot of artistic flourish that could be perceived as. Um, excessive. <laughs> if if 11, it's not working, for you. If, an, if, 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 if oceans,
4: twelve soul. were a, were, a, were a person. We would describe that person as douchey. Okay, that's fine. Yes, See, I
0: don't, But See, it's taking on a European uh, culture. I it, never it wants got to
3: the be hate, of your
4: Now, now, granted, keep in mind. I think Soderbergh has said that twelve is his favorite of the trilogy. Has he?
0: Really? Because it so. is. Oh, interesting. That doesn't mean he's
4: right. <laughs> well, anyway, no.
0: My choice of eleven um, is. Mainly because of the cast. Like, the cast is incredible. Uh, it's Even when you look back at it now and kind of think of getting all those guys together. Yeah, oh, my God. Um, it would seem really hard. It seems one of those situations where a bunch of actors who are friends with each other didn't mind taking whatever types of pay cuts or, you know, moving whatever schedules around so they'd get a chance to work together. Yeah. Uh, you keep asking that very interesting question about um, George Clooney telling you that movies like that are harder to make. Yeah. Um, and that for them in the ensemble, it's not cause they're just hanging out with sure, their friends, sure. but to try to coordinate all of it and to film it in Las Vegas, um, and, and to have a heist film, like heist films only live and die if the heist works. Of course. Right. And so,
4: but, um, and also like we're kind of tricked as well in a really fun, sweet, clever way. Like, yes. like not, not tricked in the like, Oh, like you like, okay, that wasn't fun. Like, like we kind of, you know, we're, um, there, there's so many moments where you think it's going poorly. Right, right, right. And, and it's just that we've been left out. of the, like It gives us, what do, you, what do you want to say, like 80% of the plan? Oh, yeah. But but that 20% lets us have a really fun, enjoyable moment at the end.
0: Do you know the moment where uh, that I will always remember is when you think Clooney's getting beaten up by that giant guy? Yeah. And then they're faking it behind the door? Kind See, for of me,
4: it's the Carl uh, Reiner, you think he's going to have a heart attack.
0: Oh, really? Because okay. throughout
4: the movie, he's kind of like... Which, when you re- look back, you're like, oh, maybe he just has indigestion, but yeah, it yeah. kind of like leads you to believe that he's having some heart issues. Yes. So when he drops, you think, oh my god! And then
3: Brad Pitt shows up. Did someone call for a doctor? <laughs> you know who's amazing in those movies is Scott Kahn. It, he's good. But, but with loves, Affleck, yeah, those are, those the two way, the are way they great argue, together. together.
0: That's funny that like you mentioned a lot of these people who are like everybody automatically goes to like Damon Pitt. I love yeah.
3: Scott Kahn in that movie, but
0: like Elliot Gould is yes. fantastic. Yeah and Andy Garcia is a perfect oh villain God, yes. Garcia you know? plays Garcia's that great. role
3: masterfully yeah. yep. it's a it's Very a understated re- yeah i completely agree there's something like when he enters the frame and he's looking around his casino like you feel that like yes. you feel his eyes like like Soderbergh. like again that, that, that's that that's that's why i, I kind of mentioned when i said about no sudden move it feels like it's back to that type yeah. of like rhythm sure. and, that that like that, and that pacing and that um
4: i, I had yeah. a uh, and you guys all understand what i mean this is such an us thing i had a davy jones moment with um <laughs> With uh, with uh, Andy Garcia, because I was interviewing him at the Four Seasons for, for our film, and he was in one of the specialty suites, and it was called The Benedict Room. Okay. And so I, I sat down with him, and I said, uh, hey, we're, uh, we're in The Benedict Room. And he, he just kind of looked at me like he didn't know what I was talking about. And I go, like, The Benedict Room. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me like, and I go...
3: <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh sorry I didn't remember that guy's last name <laughs>
0: did he finally he bought, get I,
3: either he did or he's a hell of an actor and that's hilarious. one of the most <laughs> devastating things is when you meet somebody like a, a, a <laughs> they, and they have no idea what you're talking about and right. they are the thing you're yeah, talking they, they about. they are what you're talking yeah, about like I like you bring up like a movie to somebody like oh yeah you're right I was in that I'm like how do you not know it's one of my favorite movies of all time have you told the Ray Liotta story
0: we feel the dreams have you told that on the show no I have not please tell that show <laughs> please tell it now. so
4: we all we interview the cast of of, uh, of No Sudden Move. And uh, and it was a great cast. It was a great junket. And, and one of the like middle tier
3: people that we interviewed, which is crazy, this person in, in the grand scheme of things is middle tier, was uh, Ray Liotta. Wait, can we give the, the rundown of that? So that junket was Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro paired. Yep. Yes. Ray Liotta and Julia Fox, who is in Uncut Gems. Right. Brendan Fraser and Bill Duke, who yeah. is from Bill Commando Duke. and, yes. and Predator. Like predator. Uh, I'm, I'm missing a, society. a big one. I'm missing a big name. Who? Uh, John Ham. John Ham. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean this this cast is insane. Right, Kieran continue. Culkin. Kieran and Culkin. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And so uh, the reason I asked this question is because in a couple of weeks I'm actually very excited. I'm going on assignment. The Chicago White Sox and the New York Yankees are going to play a game, uh, a real game, at the Field of Dreams in Iowa. So because one of the teams playing is Chicago, uh, I'm going to go on assignment. I'm going to cover it. We're sending a sports guy to cover it from a sports angle. I'm covering it from a film angle. So I was trying to get a couple of members of the cast to talk with me about the film and their memories of stepping out because I I'm, I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to be very emotional. I've always wanted to go to that. It's like a bucket list thing for me, and so I'm very excited. And so I asked him, like, hey, what do you remember about stepping out on that uh, on, on that field for the first time? Thinking I'm going to get this just beautiful answer about the sun rising over the horizon and the corn, and all, like, just, you know, you, you expect something really nice, especially from a film like that. It means so much to so, so many people. And I get... You know, I've never seen that movie, and I went. What, what, what do you mean you've never seen that movie? <laughs> and he goes, "Well, it was, he goes. I just took it for the money. It was the third. He goes. I needed the work. It was the third movie I was ever in. He goes. I'm going to be honest with you. The first time I ever read the script, and he pauses. He goes, I kind of thought I was stupid, <laughs> and I went. Oh, what do you mean you thought it was stupid? <laughs> and he goes. Well, a dude tears down corn and builds a baseball field like, oh, yeah. and I go. You should watch it it's really good <laughs> it's really good and then i think i asked him like why he didn't why well, he goes uh, you know this reason or that and i was just like oh huh. that's bizarre and the best part was i'd reached out to Ray's publicist about getting like a sit down interview with it to do like a couple of you know can i get like 15 minutes with them talk field of dreams and afterwards his publicist reached out and was like hey um so i saw you already you asked him a question of the junk do you still need that time with him and i'm like i'd like it but does he have anything to say <laughs> about it he's never seen it does he have anything to say <laughs> i haven't heard back
0: you should say like we should watch it together. <laughs> we should watch it. Oh, I, I pitched that. It did not go over. A point. Ray Liotta commentary
5: track would be great. <laughs> this is stupid. This is stupid. He's just
0: tearing down corn. <laughs> All right, what, is, can, what does he think this is? Interstellar. We both liked uh, Ocean's Eleven. Kevin,
3: what's your pick? Uh, mine's Traffic mm-hmm. because I I, I rewatched recently. It's it holds up so well. It's a masterpiece. Well. I, I I remember I remember seeing it at Regal Kiln Creek. Um, it was you know Soderbergh at that point. I mean I was a big. Big sex Lies, and videotape family. I, he I, I, Soderbergh was a big part of my film journey in terms of like, you know, Tarantino and Soderbergh and like finding Traffic at the time. I found it was really a big deal for me. Um, just in terms of like performance, it really kind of it really jump started my love for Del Toro. I went back and watched a lot of his uh, filmography, Basquiat and all those films because. Did you of,
4: discover him in Traffic before you did Usual Suspects?
3: See, I saw so well, Usual Suspects when I saw Usual Suspects. I was like really young, so I I, I, Del Toro wasn't more wasn't really on my radar, right? So traffic.
0: I was in college. Go to hell.
3: (laughs) Traffic was a big deal. Um, The reason why I chose traffic is because of the different color palettes in that film that represent the different storylines, the different areas. I also found an incredibly, incredibly uh, interesting uh, Michael Douglas's arc in the film and kind of what he has to go through with his own daughter and considering what he's doing. Who that was supposed to be? who harrison ford really yeah yeah i think doug see it's funny i can't imagine anyone else in yeah, that role yeah um why did he bail do you know
4: i think it was a scheduling thing well i think it was originally offered to douglas and he didn't like the way the role was written and then ford came in and like helped them kind of change the character and develop the character a little bit and then ended up dropping out and then i think soderberg reached back out and to douglas was like hey we've made some changes to the character would you like it this way and Douglas liked some of the changes that had been made. Didn't
0: he meet Catherine Zeta-Jones on that movie? Why do I have a feeling that he met her on that movie? Why, Is she in that maybe, movie?
4: I don't yeah. think so because she's pregnant during that film. And I thought that they, that she was pregnant with oh, his child.
3: Okay, maybe
0: I don't know. I'm I'm remembering wrong.
3: But either way, Traffic's my pick. It's great, phenomenal oh, film, and it
4: holds up so yeah. well. And, and 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 it's oh, it's yeah.
0: I mean, it's Soderbergh knows how to
4: handle a cast. Man, that was one of the things. You know, really, if you get, if you haven't had a chance. To watch No Sudden Move and then go and listen to our our long form interview with Soderbergh, um, we talked to him about making when you have an All Star cast, making sure everyone gets a moment, and, and yeah. uh, it's it's just fascinating. But
3: but the thing that that you know it changed uh, Del Toro's yeah. career though. Oh, and he won Oscar for. it. And, and talking to Cheadle and Del Toro at the junket for that for the for No Sudden yeah. Move and having them r- remember their thoughts of traffic yeah. was like I honestly one of the beauties of. Getting to do what we do for a living is when you can talk to someone from a movie that you love, and then you feel their same passion for that project, right? So, I remember when I asked both of them to remember their thoughts on and memories of traffic, they lit up like like. But Benicio del Toro's answer made Don Cheeto like emotional like cuz they 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 really really loved that project and you can tell they loved that project because the work on screen is genuinely amazing um, but at the same time to talk to the two actors who were in it 20 years later and hear that they still feel that way about the film um, You know, Del Toro is one of those is one of those actors where, like I don't really know much about him as a person. I just know his characters. Right. And like Snatch and all those movies that he did. Those those are like Del Toro was like one of my favorite actors as growing up. Traffic was really, again, as I said, the jumpstart for me for loving his films. I went back and watched Usual Suspects, obviously. Um, I even liked Wolfman. I wolf-
4: liked his Wolfman. Yeah. The
0: one with Hopkins and Emily Blunt. I barely remember it.
3: I know I saw it when he turns to a theaters. wolf.
0: Does he really? He's a man. He uh, turns oh, into a wolf. That title's deceiving. You know what's I'll really interesting?
3: That, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't is Del Toro the most Tarantino-esque actor who's never worked with Tarantino? You know, whenever you and I were, were talking that's earlier funny. today, and I remember
4: thinking, like, you know, just because, so, Kevin and I were doing some live shots earlier in front of the new Beverly, and I and one of the live shots I did, I was tossing to my interview with um, Benicio, so I had both Benicio and Tarantino on my mind, and actually, earlier today, I thought, you know, that would be a great actor to be in a Tarantino film that's never... Yeah. I think he could, he could rattle off that. You know, he's... And it's, well, speaking of him and Tarantino, I think De- Del Toro's Oscar, I think, is one of three for performances that are mostly not in english i think he's one of them christoph waltz for inglorious bastards is one of them i think there's one more that i'm not remembering it's interesting
3: another performance i want to point out for traffic is Luis guzman um who is his character is with don Cheadle's character like that that duo was unbelievable Mm -hmm. like like, traffic is just Heavy hitting and I re-watched it recently with my father-in-law. Just I sat down and just popped it on. I was like, I'll watch the first 20 minutes because it's a pretty heavy film, yeah, obviously. Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you right now, I was watching it on my father-in-law's like 30-inch television. And not not that nothing wrong with it, the 30-inch television, but when you, I saw the last time I saw the movie was in a theater, right? Sure. It still grabbed me. Mm-hmm. It still freaking grabbed me. I'm like, I'm I'm over 30 feet away from the TV on a couch the sound system and it's just a pure like, you know, movie that's just playing on there with no real great picture and no real great sound. And the color palettes just took my eyes and focused me. And there's something about, I don't know if this is just the way my brain works. I like visual cues that change the setting and or time period. One of my favorite or, uh, examples of that would be Grand Budapest Hotel. Sure. Where he jumped different aspect ratios to tell you what, ye- what year you were in or what decade you were in.
4: You're, are, you're watching Cruel Summer.
3: Yes. So I started it recently. Yeah. After making
4: fun of you. Yes. One, I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. Because it's great. But you would find it interesting because it, it, it takes place in three different years. 1994, 3, three 4, 93, 94, 95. And it also jumps around in time. And also, you're you don't know exactly what's going on. And the main way that you ha- you have to keep everything straight, aside from a couple of like character appearances, haircuts, yeah, uh, are, are the styles in which they shoot. Yep the the color palette for each year yep. is completely different. Yep, it's a, uh, and it's a I, and great I thought of you way. whenever that happened. And one of them is that very deep blue, like from traffic.
3: Yeah, and that was that's the whole thing. And one thing that I wish I could ask Soderbergh, which I didn't, we didn't have time to get to, was were those color palettes done? mostly in post or did they actually achieve those in camera? Because I would love to know if they were shooting each one of those segments yeah. with that actual color power. Or did the, they... the, the,
4: the, the one in Mexico is just so grainy. Right. I feel like that's.
3: And I don't, I, I would imagine they did it in camera like that, but I actually don't know. I mean, like it, it seems so organic to the, to the film that we're seeing. But I don't know. To me, those those choices as a filmmaker have the ability to either derail your film and make you realize you're watching a movie or they have the ability to keep you in it and make you wonder, oh, oh, I'm back in Mexico now. I'm back in 1993 now. And like your brain subconsciously does it for you because of the visual cue. And a good filmmaker does it that way. That works. So
0: So, audience picks are going to remind you the number of films that we didn't get to. Uh, Stephanie Diamond said Sex, Lies and Videotape. Travis Russell went with Out of Sight. Uh, Christian Hestis went with Lucky Logan. Indy Christina, Brant Phillips uh, both said Contagion. Okay. Alex Thomas went Ocean's 13.
4: He Yo, went th- I love Pacino in Ocean's 13.
0: Do you? Yeah. I like 13. I, 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 like 13. I, think, yeah. I think
4: 13 is significantly
3: closer to 11 than it is 12. Oh, 12 is better than 13. You, you just don't like 12.
0: Hirak Shah and Rob the Mind uh, said Ocean's 12. And then Dustin stout Michael Cayman's Kimberly sue and many many others went with oceans 11. Uh, next week you can reach out to us to play the blend game on Twitter using hashtag hashtag food scene blend
3: you' oh, good one oh, I already know my I answer. know yours you know my answer yeah I know so I asked answer. you about it today yeah so I know you yours. can
0: let us know your pick uh, via email at real one or one. play along on social media um, at that uh, email that I gave you, Real Blend at cinemablend.com. That's where you can also leave us a review if you would like to. Uh, you can also go over to the Apple Podcast page and leave us a review there. When you do, we will read them on the show. Uh, our next premium episode is going to be something new that we are trying called the IMDb game. Uh, and so we'll see how that works out. Again, you can get access to all the episodes of Real Blend, real blend Premium at cinemablend.com backslash Real Blend Premium. And in the meantime, and especially uh, lately, you're going to want to go to our social channels and follow us for updates. Dates and highlights from the Quentin Tarantino uh, two-hour oh interview God, yes. that we're doing at the New Beverly. Sean,
4: I would like to, to do something to prove to people that we're all in the same room together. Huh? I'd like to... What? what? I'm, what? Sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? So this is a rock that I'm just going to no. softly tap it on. <laughs> I don't like that. And and I don't then, then like tapping gonna, the mic. Yeah. Oh! oh See, there you go. We're, we, are, we are all in the same room together.
0: Yes, we are. Why? And throwing no rocks at that. each other. But they, maybe they did till now. Did you have to hit me with a rock? <laughs> Uh, at Jigstakes Takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell at Gabe Kobach.
4: Real blend out of context. There you go. There's, and, your, there's and,
0: your line.
1: <laughs> why did you have to hit me with a rule? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: We'll talk to you guys
3: next week. Hubie.
1: at Parker. Our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea